0: Welcome to Time Out Coaching with coach Tony Garbalotto. Today, we welcome a true legend of British and Scottish coaching. Head coach of Fulcourt Fury and winner of numerous national championships and coach to some of the very best players that have played in the UK. I'm really pleased to welcome coach John Bunyan. Coach, good morning. Good morning, How are you? Tony. How are
1: you? I'm Great. fine, thank you.
0: Great to, great to have you on. Um, as, uh, let's get straight into it um, because yeah. you've got such an incredible history in this game. Well,
1: it's um, uh, quite a few years, Tony, right enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so tell me, you know, first how you got involved in the game of basketball and, you know, how that pushed you, you know, into, into, into becoming a coach.
1: Well, no surprise in Scotland, football was what I was involved in initially. 50s 60s played football in fact we played everything back in these days anyway table tennis tennis swimming golf everything so you really were involved in all sports not such a you know how we're a bit more <coughs> dedicated to one or two sports which uh, athletically actually you know the more sports we always uh our players that come into the club that could be involved in football swimming We we certainly don't discourage them you know we don't have There's a bit of a football mentality. Once you're into football, you're in it. You can't play an hour sport, you know. (laughs) But uh, athletic development, some of our best defenders have been football players. Fantastic footwork, you know. Uh, So, yeah, involved there. But when I went to high school, early 60s, that was my first taste of basketball. Two PE teachers there. Uh, every year, at Folk, every first year class at Falker High School had a basketball team, whether they wanted one or not. So we had like a six team league in the first year at our school alone, which awesome. was fantastic. Yeah, uh, that, that group of players then would represent the school in, uh, in, in sort of Scottish competition. And so I played a lot in, in the school, no, no club stuff at that point in time. 1966 I joined the police, a police cadet, I went to the real world and uh, played a bit in college, Uh, we went to college, played there, but then when I joined at 19, the actual police, that was me, I was involved a lot in swimming, I've been involved a lot in swimming also as well as basketball, life-saving in particular, life-saving teams, college record holder with another guy at the college police college and life saving and pairs we did all these staged incidents and swam down in hendon tony the coldest pool i've ever been in <laughs> the, the metropolitan police place in london
0: i, I know it very well <laughs> uh, I, don't, I, can't, I can't tell you that I know the pool very well, but I know he's no, right. training in college extremely well because uh, yes. as, as a young coach, you know, we were very lucky to um, to be invited by mainly Kirk Dawes to to Kirk play. Kirk Dawes, yes. Yeah, to I'll, play come on, I'll
1: come on to all that, please. Basketball, yeah. Kirk Dawes, awesome. Rob Harper, Kevin Penny, all these guys. Awesome. Yeah, so... Uh, that was, a, and I played a lot of golf, I still do, but uh, so police, I played a bit in the police football team. So basketball kind of dropped out for about eight, nine years. Then another guy, Eddie McKinley, who Eddie's a FIBA referee, commissioner, he's on British, one of the British basketball boards. Eddie and I started the Central Scotland Police basketball team. That would be in 19, oh, just right about when Keith was born, 1977. Uh, been married for five years, wife was a teenage bride, uh, as everybody was in these days and uh, so 1977 Keith was born and that was when we started the police team uh, and we had great success into the 80s. Uh, that was when Solwright came on the scene with Bobby Kinzer and Terry Mangum. Terry Mangum actually started, he was involved in coaching our police team. We got a couple of guys in, Terry was one of them. So that was it. Yeah, and uh, Mr. T as he was known uh, from the A team. And uh, I have a lot of things that recur in my basketball story because Tony's son, Mikey Mangum, actually played against Johnny in the scotland england teams later in the uh, competition so uh, yeah that's how I, I, I got involved with coaching i uh, went away to the, the crime squad I was in a surveillance unit for three years and uh, but i was still playing basketball uh, with the police team and then uh, when i came back got involved in sports development basketball in falkirk and was coaching there, and then I became kind of a player coach of the Central Scotland Police team with some great players in the team, a lot of ex-international players. I won five Chairman's Cups, which was the sort of local league equivalent, sure. and played in the British Police competitions for, all oh, 80s, 90s. I played right way into my 40s and played against, like guys we're talking about, Kirk Dawes, Rob Harper, fantastic player, Kevin Penny, and... Yeah. The, the police competition was really tough, you know. Really the Liverpool police, and uh, so I had a tough upbringing as far as playing <laughs> and started coaching.
0: <laughs> do, was there anyone at this time that um, when you said you were starting, you were doing the player coaching? Of course, you know you're you're seeing you know certain things that are happening on the court. Uh, was there anyone influencing you to like you know like hey, you should do this in these practice sessions or? Were you just, you know, kind of like going along with the flow almost?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always been, whether it's golf or whatever, I've always been key. I don't bother about spending endless hours on my own practice, you know, or reading books or looking at film. Or, I was probably early analytics. I was always looking for an edge off the court, you know, for our players, you uh, particularly you know with with Keith uh, we got into uh, Fury was formed around in in 1992 but you know it was clear that the Scots were maybe not the most athletic but there was nothing to stop us being technically good. Very good. Uh, And you know so I did uh, look at and it came out of swimming as well. I was involved in a lot of swimming coaching for 10 years, morning training, five mornings a, a week I was taking training and five nights. So you think when was able to do police work, but I was in between. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, the coaching uh, guys like Adrian Moorhouse, I would go to clinics like that. and So I always had a kind of ethos of, looking how to improve technique you know coach swimming's all about repetitions as Absolutely. well you know yeah. interval training and everything like that We take
0: uh, the interval Well, you like so so this obviously you know being involved in the police you know it's a you know disciplined job um coaching swimming extremely disciplined like you say golf very technical so you were yeah. you were really learning to you know to structure sessions well, you know, or and or you concentrating on the techniques, you know, what what and and how did you find the you know how to teach some of these techniques because you've definitely coached some of the best shooters that that have that yeah. have been in, in our I can in our come country.
1: on to the shooting techniques, but but yeah, I like to working with Terry Meincom. and then uh, a I as Keith actually went into you know at 15 we barely had a team then in 1992 that was our first junior team we couldn't get into division one because first team in the league it was born out of school team and uh, I thought these guys could are pretty good you know Keith even then could shoot the lights out at 15 so we need to get them in the national league we won that second division and Keith made the Scotland team and, and a year later I became involved in scotland a international coaching for 13 years up until the Commonwealth games so started working with people like john grant up in our broth tony zifras and you know so these guys had been involved a bit more than i had at that time and you know they were they were good at individual coaching but i could you know and i was starting to you know develop my individual coaching shooting a basketball and the technique and you know I, I was happy to uh, to learn from other people other players look at look at things and uh, yeah so but I, on the practice side yeah but we've been involved in the CID in particular the planning the detail I uh, was there and when you're involved with international teams you've got to plan obviously not just for one game you're there for maybe eight ten games a whole different ball game when you're as you know yourself tony when you're on an art- international team for a couple of weeks it's meals and practices and everything and scouting and analytics and you know I, these are early kind of analytics days but obviously uh, yeah. yeah yeah so uh but no i i looked at a lot of stuff myself and Ultimate, as we developed, I got involved with a guy, Stuart Craig, a golf professional who worked, he was, biomechanics was coming in, I used it for free throws, biomechanics where it was force plates, where you were Putting, we were putting people on the force plates. You could see ninety percent of their foot pressure was on the left leg. You know they were basically taking free throws, balancing on one leg. We were filming it at the same time, looking at coach trajectory oh, the, awesome. the trajectory of the ball. So you know it was it was a great development in shooting a basketball. You know, and I got that, my own
0: views about that's a uh, coach. That's a, an incredible point. You know, not, you know early on, but to even think that how does that mythology not translated today where we have such ability to use, you know, technology in such an easy way and cheap way. And you were using it back then. I mean, even for uh, myself, that's the first time I've ever heard someone, you know, talk about the biomechanics of a free throw, which is, you know, something that's one of the most important shots in our game.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, You know, I brought that into the the Scotland men's team as we're preparing for the Commonwealth Games, so players from other clubs uh, became involved in that and not only that, but dynamic warm-ups as well. Tony was a thing. I got involved with guys from the sports development side and, you know, at that time, when I when I was in the police team, everybody would run out, they'd run on the court, lie on the ground and stretch themselves to death, you know, and I I was reading uh, articles and there was a sports uh, magazine, Peak Performance it was called, yeah. and that came out and there was articles about warming up and what you should be doing and how you developed athletic ability, etc. So David Henry, a guy that he actually was a junior coach in Rangers football club and he actually wanted me to go through and show them some basketball drills about, you know, the things that we were doing about passing and movement and balance and transition and offense and defense. And he was giving me this dynamic warm up stuff, you know, so we moved from stretching ourselves to death to, uh, I remember being out in Africa in Sun City with the Scotland team prior to the Cornwall Games, and the teams just looked at this dynamic warm-up that we were doing, thinking, what are these guys doing, you know? All right, they didn't need to do it, you know? They were jumping out of the gym anyway and dunking on us, but, uh, you know, so it brought an extra, extra, the the guys felt prepared, you know, because we were actually working on, we were coming out to start sprinting in the game, you know, we are only coming out to stretch in the game. So, uh, and of course everybody uses it now, you know?
0: Yeah. So from 1992, you know, the early days of Fulker Fury, Um, you know, talk about that process and, 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 and how, you know, it was getting better and better, you know, and also maybe talk a little bit about what your early philosophy was as a coach from a, from a, you know, from your own team perspective.
1: Yeah, well, 1992, that that's when we formed Folk Fury, and it coincided really with the start of my involvement in Scotland teams, which would be in 93. Uh, so we, we had just had a boys team at that time, which was a junior boys team. But as luck would have it, they actually changed the age groups. It was under 15 and under 17, I think, and we were under 17. We changed it to 16s and 18s so 90% of my team except Keith couldn't play they were all too old so we had to move to an under 21 league so Keith was playing under 21 basketball at 16 which of course is always something that is you know yeah I'm a great one for people playing in their own age groups and, and, and playing against people but there's no doubt kids will develop when they're faced with the bigger challenges of playing older brothers or older teams etc so we had an under 21 team at that point in time it might even have been under 23 actually four or five years in that and just as Keith went into the the BBL the uh, Edinburgh Rocks was formed in 98 our best player he went there and we the under-23 league got stopped in Scotland because they hadn't enough senior men's teams. So all the under-23 teams, then Firmland Reds and Murner ourselves, the casually new teams, we were all pushed into the senior men's league. Uh-huh. But amazingly, within two years, two seasons, we actually won uh, the senior men's title with a great group of players. Um, so by that time, year 2000, We had started another couple of younger age group teams. My daughter was playing, Kim, so we had a girls team. And, uh, you know, we're starting to develop. That was us three or four teams uh, by that time. Um, and started to get more people on board in terms of coaching within the club. And, uh, you know, so really the... We were we were looking to develop not just our players, but the club itself was expanding.
0: When when was the um, Fulkrick um, uh, professional team in uh, with with Kevin Cader? When was that? What year? That was in the that was in the
1: eighties, uh, Tony. Yeah. And, in the and 80s. Did, did you
0: did you have any involvement in that, or were you just around? You know, were you watching Kevin coach at any times, or ha- yeah.
1: Yeah, they all, I knew the owner of Coaster's Arena, a guy, Neil Rankin, so I was down at practices and stuff. Met Ke- Kevin actually played in the, the Central League, the local league, against our police team. Wow. Uh, he wasn't a bad player. He wasn't the great, but yeah. uh, he would have admitted that himself, you know? Obviously, a fantastic coach. Bobby Kinzer there saying, and, you know, Keith was a ball boy at that point in time, oh, but I... that, that team who is their big... <laughs> We know, we had 5,000 people were at these games when they played uh, Murray and, uh, Murray uh, from Edinburgh and Alton Birds And uh, so fantastic games and people like Derek Pope, the, he's the most spectacular dunker I've ever seen, genuinely taking off from the free throw line and dunking the ball, you know. Brilliant. So Coasters was a great platform for basketball in the Falkirk area. Sure. We, we had a local league in Falkirk that basically had three leagues in it, 30 teams in Falkirk alone at that point in time. And that was all off the back of uh, having a great team like Solwright. But Solwright fizzled out uh, just into the nineties. A lot of people will blame David Murray for killing uh, Scottish basketball. He wanted to have He ultimately was the owner of Rangers Football Club, but he was big on basketball. He went, but he wanted all the the best players of Scotland to be in his team to go into Europe and basketball Scotland rightly at that time says no hold on you've got your team you can't we're not sanctioning that this one Scottish team It might have been a, who knows it might have been a, a good platform but mm. uh, Murray themselves had the great team they were in Europe they played Real Madrid with yeah. uh, Bobby Archibald's father played in that team you know so there was a, a lot of basketball about and the 80s 90s but until the rocks came in in 98 it had really the professional side had kind of slid out you know
0: sure sure so uh, uh, you know keith is obviously now moving you know to, like you said to the rocks um yes you you're, you're you're starting to grow for Kirk. Um, is there any other influences for you at this time are you are you going you know a little bit to America to, to, to check out anything or what what do you what whose influence you knew who, most around this time
1: yeah well <clears throat> the uh, roundabout uh, I suppose as Johnny's getting older actually and on the women's side of basketball as well actually there was a team another local team Denny Devils they actually folded and we inherited two or three other teams so we moved to be one of only three teams in Scotland at that point in the early 2000s to have senior men senior women junior men junior women cadet wow. men cadet women There was lots of clubs in Scotland they might have had a cadet mate under 16 team or under 18 and then are under 14 programmes, under 12, and we're having two teams in each age group, you know. So the club was really developing. Uh, so camps were a big thing, you know, and to be, you know, Basketball Scotland had a great national camp as well that I coached at. There was Americans coming into the camps that uh, held at Kinross, Ross. So that was uh, a real positive as far as seeing some of the stuff Americans were doing. And then I took, uh, 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 Johnny's age group was a fantastic age group. Uh, Ali Fraser, Cameron Buchan, his sister Mary Buchan played for us. She went and played for Old Dominion. She was the first Scot to play in an NCAA Division I team, played for Great Britain, an amazing player, Mary Buchan. And, you know, so it wasn't just male players who were developing female players, but as the kids were, developing it was then around about 2009 at the end of that season we had started going to Flanders there was an amazing tournament in Ghent in Flanders 30 different countries 120 teams were in that tournament we went over there as a club one year we took I think we took six teams over one year to Flanders and you know you were I was looking at all the different styles of coaching because there was American teams there. There was fantastic Dutch teams, Belgium teams. Of course, they all had their own style of play. You'd speak to the coaches. And uh, uh, 2009, our junior team, we went over and we won the junior elite A tournament against uh, the top team from Serbia, and uh, these Serbian coaches, you know, they were gobsmacked with these Scottish players. Because Johnny was literally the best point guard there.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, he could read the That's game awesome. amazingly. Uh, Ali Fraser, technically. Cameron Buchan, Mary's brother. Great big player. with a great team. And they were structured, you know. And back in these days, I played quite a lot of sets, you know. With, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so Box w- offences, zipper offences, various things. And Johnny could control all that, you know. So... And we won that title in two thousand and nine, which was an amazing achievement. And these Serbian coaches actually got to know them really well. That took hey, that team. They came over and coached in Scotland at our camps. Wow. A whole. I uh, had Americans come over, but interesting story about the Serbians. The two guys that came over. Of course, I'm down watching the sessions as well as taking part in them and organize it and. and they're doing this same layup type drill for 30 minutes, yeah. 40 minutes. And I had to go on the court and say, you know, I, I think Nemanja was one of the guys' they Look, we'll have to move on. I know they do this for 10 hours over in Serbia, yeah. but, you know, we have to move on. But they were determined they weren't moving on until they were getting it right. And that's, yeah, so yeah. of course, you know. Of course. Uh,
0: uh, and that's cool. it's a really great point. Uh, i I try to to still you know talk about this uh, in this day and age, where we talk about you know games based approach and player led approach. and i and I yes. say, look, you know, um is still uh, you know if, if you show me some the scientific proof that everyone in the world is doing this i can fully un, i can fully you know, advocate <laughs> to it but at this yes. moment we know that you know in certain places in the world who are producing you know a very very high percentage of uh, players at the highest level are doing it in a in still in the old style, you know old school way so it's not yeah. to say that they're there isn't a new way to do things and everyone has their own way of doing things, but.
1: Oh yeah, no. And, uh, I, I had experience of that. in in a very early stage with the Scotland teams, we actually Scotland, we bizarrely entered Euro, a uh, Euro A, I think it was a Euro A competition. It must've been Euro A because we ended up at the Kelvin hall with this Scotland team. Uh, and, and, and was some good kids in it. Um, uh, not not ones that were going to stand out in the future, but we were in our group was Russia and Sweden. Wow. <laughs> and uh, you know, and that was uh, John Grant was the head coach and I was the assistant. And a couple of funny stories from that were uh at the Kelvin Hall and the teams are all staying in university dorms and were due to play Russia, and the guy from the hall comes, it's gonna be a slight delay. They had and we only found out because they had painted the rings to make it look great. And they knew it was like kids under 18 basketball. And of course I said, well, nobody's touching these rings. And the Russian players are hanging on the rings, you know, and coming down with paint on their hands. So there was a game delay. There's a game delay on that. So, so that was all sorted out. But the Russian coach, he had And the game was just a a walkover. But he was subbing. If a player missed a shot, that was his subbing policy. That player was out. If you missed, you were out. And then the Swedish team that we played, who had some fantastic players, John and I later learned, that the budget of that Swedish junior team was bigger than the whole of Basketball Scotland's entire budget. Unbelievable. So, yeah, Uh, it opened my eyes to the level of, of basketball out there, outside Scotland, you know so you're, you, you
0: did touch on it that, you know, you were, you were set offence, you know, what, what else were you, you know, as part of your, you know, kind of like the club's DNA, um, how were you, you know, approaching defence, how were you approaching transition <coughs> um, and we'll get on to the shooting in a minute.
1: Yeah, well, you know, when I, when I started out, the, the, it wasn't overly structured in the younger days but as I, as I, as I read book, playbooks, I've got playbooks that are literally you can hardly read them anymore you know about zipper sets and very the box offense we'd some great big players you know so we we'll run in box just dribble down the side drop the big guy would drop down the shooter would pop out to the wing everybody'd run out the shooter leave an isolation in the post and you know f- few things running off that but you know why change it if you were killing them well, every play on that you absolutely, know don't change yeah. it until they, they work out how to beat it yeah so uh yeah, sets. We worked a lot of sets, and and it was great actually. I, I really enjoy working with the uh, the half court sets to be on, and the players enjoy it when they get a great deal of enjoyment out when it works. You know, it's uh, the, but just, we've moved it away.
0: Just before you go on to the, you know, the the you know that that philosophy, the rest of the philosophy yeah. stuff. I'm trying to get, you know, the more experienced coaches to to describe a little bit about what you're doing, you're really downplaying how good a coach you are with the technical skills of the players, because that was one thing that everyone sees, you know, with, you know, a a lot of Scottish players, but especially the ones that you have coached, you know, that Mm -hmm. they pass well, they dribble well, they understand the game. And of course the shooting, I mean, what, what what were you doing? Was this a, a lot of drill repetition in practice? Was that, a certain methodology well, in how you were doing it? Because, you know, you didn't have limitless hours to do, to work with.
1: Oh, no, absolutely not. And I know you were amazed the other week when we were speaking how the, the, the coach Sevenoaks was saying he had a couple of hours a week with his players, you know. And, and, and But that that can be a fact in, in non-pro situations, club land, that you are limited. You're relying on your players developing themselves off-court you know you're you're setting them up as to how to shoot the basketball how to shoot catch and shoot shoot off the dribble stepping into the shot all these kind of things and uh, but no the discipline of potentially players like Kieran Akara and uh, you know Ali Fraser, Johnny all these guys that have played for us Keith over the years with a lot of fantastic players but and yes, we, we did uh, work a lot in sets and potentially that was a discipline uh, side of things. But I think people have got to, you know, you touched on drills and talk more about drills. I think coaches have got to, What I've seen a lot of coaches because I'm a tutor as well and became a tutor early on. Uh, and I think when you become a tutor and you're coaching coaches, you mm. actually improve your own coaching as well. Definitely. Because you're looking at things you might have forgotten about or new things that come up. But, uh, you know, don't fall into the habit of just dishing out drills. I've seen, you know, people have given presentations as a tutor and they've just served up a drill. You know, they've never said one single thing about it. You've, they've never stopped the practice when there's clearly been something not going right or something good. And that's what I always say to them, you know, we have 20 coaches in the club to our coaches you don't be frightened to stop the drill and point out or just say stop look at the positions on the floor see where you are offensively defensively what's what's been happening and so I did a lot of that you know yeah i ran a lot of great drills and we've got great drills but at the same time that's not it you've got to the perception on the drills or the plays has got to have meaning to it, that the players understand that they're not just on the floor to run up and down in an 11-man drill or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a reason for it that we're playing three against two in an 11-man drill. And there's a reason about where your position is in tandem defense. And, you know, when we, early days when I, I, I was never, they used to bring the ball down the middle in a 3v2 and, so. you know, I pushed the ball under the wing because these two guys that were at the basket, they never moved till the ball went to the wing, you know, so get the ball <laughs> to the wing and yeah. get them to adjust and then you make the extra pass and nobody's got a guarding your trailing player on the weak side. So, yeah, a lot of stuff like that that over the years that the players would take on board, you know, at basketball, I've always, to the detriment, no slag in football, but a lot of football people listening, you know, I always said, and one kid said it back to me, hey, JB, hey, coach, hey, playing basketball. I've actually got to think. You no, know, like football, I'm just yeah. running about, you know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and I've always said that basketball players are really clever people. I can see it with their exam results and everything, you know. <laughs> it's
0: it's it's <laughs> interesting you say this, uh, but you know, I, at the moment, I'm I'm doing my masters in in, in elite sports coaching, and you mm-hmm. know, I, I I try to downplay it but at the same time i always stress you know look um our sport is so you know advanced in in coaching and coaching mythology you know like we know that in soccer they were never doing these things you know they've only just started catching up on some of the sports science and and video and and analytics that we were doing like i said I, i had to tell the course the other day there were basketball coaches in america in the '60s, splicing together video eight to put together, yes. you know, scouting reports. I said, you, yes. "You guys only started using video ten years ago." I said, "It's like a joke." That's uh, yeah.
1: Amazing. So yeah, anyway, it only, start, only started warming up a few years ago as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah, I was involved a lot in football, and the team yeah. talk was in the dressing room. Then they ran on the pitch at three o'clock, you know. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, and but. That's where I learned a lot from swimming, because swimming is probably one of the most advanced in terms of, you know, warm-ups and all the repetitions and the technique and the dedication and, you know, people moaning to me, oh, got to come early or stay late. I said, listen, you want to get in the pool and you'll find out about toughness, you know. (laughs) Uh, The swimming training that I did with a a life-saving. I used to come out and was sick at the side of uh, the sessions. You were just pushed in the ground. I'm not advocating that because I know there's a, a lot of people go beyond that, but it was just, you know, people never took you beyond that, but they, there's a level of intensity, shall I say, you know, not have got, got to be intense.
0: Johnny will tell you that I, I come up with this story <laughs> at least once a season. Um, and it's yes. normally when the when the players are moaning that they're training too hard or the schedule's too hard. And I say, listen you have to understand our sport okay our sport we train the smallest for the biggest gratification rewards i.e our training time is very limited to the actual amount of competition that we play we could play two times a week and yet someone like swimmers cross-country skiers um these marathon runners their training to competition is incredible. It's off the charts, and they and they're yeah. not moaning. And you know, and that's what I try and explain to a basketball player. Don't com- don't be complaining. And actually, Messina <laughs> has just actually put that out, and uh, I sent that out on Facebook, um, right. where he really was aggressive in the media to supposable professional players, saying exactly the same. You guys mm-hmm. don't know how easy you have it. Do not complain yeah. to me about hard coaching, so it's a yeah. very
1: one. So. No, and, and maybe, maybe, you know, hard's maybe the wrong word, Tony, and, and and there's no there's no malice or anything for, you know, anybody you're taking, and at the end of the day, you are watching how they're doing, but, you know, you know yourself that in order for people to get to the next level, re- well, that's the first part, because I've another belief that you could be the greatest player in the world You could train all you want, et cetera, et cetera, but you've still got to want to do it. And that's the bottom line. I've seen so many players, talented players, and I've had them myself that have gone to the States and, you know, they've maybe just said, well, it's maybe no for me. At the end of the day, they have to have that final factor of they want to do it. And that, that next step is a whole different ball game of commitment. You know, our... Uh sighting Johnny and Ali again. I'll not say this about Keith, they don't drink. Uh, but you know, so they, they took that to almost the next level of dedication. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a drink, but uh it, it just shows you that you know, there's there are levels and levels of you've you've got to really want to do something at the end of the day. And I think I've seen so many great basketball players that ultimately they failed because. Probably they didn't really want to do it. No,
0: that's you know, a great point. And
1: and is that, that is that
0: part of your philosophy has been about competition and um, trying to find the players that uh, you know have that desire to to win and to compete? Is that something you've always thought about?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that that attitude that I have myself probably of being able to just aimlessly hit golf not aimlessly because there is a structure to hitting golf balls in the practice range but you know just actually go out and practice and I did it myself when you know the more I actually got into coaching the better I think I got as a player because I was you know I my own shooting I would look at it but the things that I was doing myself as a player and and I think it's great when when if you can get your younger players into coaching because it gives just like a, the refereeing and all our players, we've got a great group of table officials. So some of them will be involved in refereeing, but they're all supporting each other. One thing about the club, you know, the girls who come along and see the boys and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Our men's team, we got a great crowd in a Friday night. But another thing about ethos was, and I've been fortunate to have a whole load of players from out with Scotland in my men's team and in the club. You know, we've had players from. The last season's team had players from China, America, Greece, Bulgaria, Lithuania, Bantu was from St. Kitts, and of course a few Scots guys as well. Sure. Great Scots players. But, the, you know, these players, the Boris Matrikov uh, and, and another uh, guy, Ivan, Bulgarians, you know, tremendous passion and flair. The Greek guys that I've had uh, playing for me, Kostas, Pedrides, so way back in... 2000, when we first won, is a Greek player comes over to Edinburgh University, Greg Foussas. And Greek, Greg played for Panathinaikos as a junior. And Costas uh, said, You play for nobody but Mr. Bunyan when you go to Scotland. <laughs> and uh, so Greg joined us. And you know, and a French guy I had, Walter Luby, he's a he, he, fantastic player. So these guys were, along with Big Stuart Mackay, Ronnie Gordon, they were part of a team we our first treble winning team. And, uh, uh, you know, we did a treble in two seasons, uh, two out of three seasons. But these foreign uh, European guys and the Americans, we've had Eric Olsen, who you know, David Foster, last season, Michaela McInnes. You know, the Americans are great with the kids, they're great with the fans. And yeah. uh, they just love an American accent, everybody. But, you know, and they're amazing offensive players. They're decent on defense too. <laughs> but you know, the the Lithuanian guys that I home uh, you know, you, you just wouldn't want to get in the way of these guys. Eh? Yeah. some amazing so all these nationalities. But one thing Tony was gonna to say, they've all got respect. They're all very respectful, you know, and that's one thing I would say stands out about these European players, the Americans we've had, you know, they've not just um they they they're very they're they're structured and yes, some of them are not as structured as others, but they have a great ethos. And, you know, we have our, we, we look at our defence, we want to be the best defensive team, but we want want to entertain and, you know, we want to go out and, you know, I've always wanted to play fast-breaking basketball trapping. I mean, I, I, I saw you over in Germany at the Albert Schweitzer tournament twice in the last five six years, and you know, I was out the coach. I was on the staff of the American team. Yeah, was, through yeah. Mike Olson, and yeah. that was because uh, I was in. I was. I coached a lot of zone during the time. You know, I was, sure. Not a great believer in it, but a believer in zone. It's part of the game, you know. And I just, I'll, I, I always laugh at the people who are so biased at times about man-to-man zone, a lot of rubbish. Well, sorry, it's part of the game. And, you know, you watch them, they go out and they face European zone teams and they're clueless. They've got no idea how to break down a zone. They don't know how to use it themselves because they don't practice it. So our practices and my philosophy over the years has been to include a fair bit of zone as well as a fair bit of man. You know, one title's playing just man-to-man at times, bit of zone. But, you know, the, the, the various zones over the years and, and people enjoy working and under, trying to understand the different principles of a 1-3-1 one, one and a one two two or diamond traps and stuff like that. You know, and we bring it in and as everybody does on end line plays or out the blue or, or, or we'll run it until somebody actually finds a way. If, you know, I'm looking at a team that's got no shooter, then why would I not play it?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it's a that's a truthful fact. And, you know, most people that know me know the story where I say, you know, um, in 2010, you know, we had a team we my, my, my Everton Tigers team. We, we started playing zone in February um, because we only had seven fit players. Yeah. um in a game in Mill and Keynes and we won by 27 and from that moment on we played zone every every single possession until the second minute to go in the bbl final against actually the glasgow rocks and sterling right. and yes. they have made this massive run against us and we switched to man-to-man for like one you know for like two possessions because uh, we we absolutely needed a stop um yes. it's crazy and we ended. luckily you ended up winning winning that championship so it, it's it is you're absolutely right i mean there's there, there's a lot of people that don't don't use things, no. but you know, like every coach, you know, if you have your philosophy and you want to be a man-to-man coach only, then that's it. But I agree with you. I think you should be as flexible as possible. And I think that there, there's definitely uh, the, the use of the zone is super important. Um, yeah. going, going back to just, um, you know, starting winning now with with the Fury and building yeah. incredible You know, championship winning club. Do you think that the winning started to, you know, to just, you know, every, every year, you know, players wanted to play for you, wanted to win. You just kind of like, this is now the ethos of the club. Um, or do you just think that, you know, you were, you were more concerned about developing really high level players. I mean, just listen to some of those players you're talking about, even, you know, the Ronnie Gordons and, you know, all of these guys, Ali, you know, and then obviously we can get on to Kieran in a a minute, but, um, you know, was it, was it still your focus to produce the players and it just happened to be that you were winning or, you know, as a, as a club, you wanted to win, you know, every as, as we all do as, you know, every time you stepped on the floor.
1: Yeah, I said obviously at the start it was family with Keith, and then as I say, my daughter Kim, eh, she played and she's she's coached as well as well as still playing and still coaching. She said she's won five titles as a coach, and Keith won about six or seven in the Scottish League. So they've all gone on and coached and developed really well as players and coaches. But you know, so it wasn't that that. Up until 2000, we won that junior uh, league division two when we entered the league. We won that, and then we were in slightly higher age groups. But in 2000, we won. Then we had a, a spell of, uh, while we were really doing well in underage groups, the next senior win was in 2010 with Eric Alston. Johnny and Ali were in the starting five, along with Keith. That was before they went to the States. And it, that really was this. Spark of us senior-wise starting to really pick up because it was a lot of homegrown players. Sure. But then I would then I would say as as we got into the 2000s, we really had quite a number of uh, not additions, but we'd maybe have a Spanish player or you know, and Edinburgh Kings and they would maybe have an Australian. So the, the Scottish clubs themselves were picking up players from the the universities as much as anything you know it wasn't players coming over specifically to play for you um so yeah we developed and had a really successful run and uh, from 2010 to the to the present day the last eight seasons you know the men's team alone have won something like 13 titles uh one year you know I, i still coach the men's team and have but one year was special in that we won the playoffs and I also won the playoffs with my women's team as well which was for me amazing winning uh, with a men's team and a women's team and I did that at Falker High School because that's where our academy is as well we had a open boys and open girls team we won there so our academy program at Falker High School which was where I went to school. All my kids have gone, a lot of kids have been there. And uh, Michaela our American player, he coached there at the academy last year. So that's been a really important part of developing. But the development also has come from having, you know, some great players that have gone from our club to the rocks and come back again. We've had a couple of players like Zaboris Matrikov, you know, a fantastic a player actually played in the BBL Bulgaria. I don't know if you coached him, Tony. I coached him. You one were, of my one yeah.
0: of my most favourite co- players to coach. You yeah, know, just... very
1: quite, very clever. Thought about the game. You know, he would be if, if we'd lost the game, which was rarely with him. Uh, you know, he'd be thinking, "Well, sorry, coach, how we did that." And mm. You know, so these guys are bringing a lot to the table and they're helping develop your younger players. But you know, our own players uh, are are developed within the the Falkirk Sterling area roundabout and you know really the the focus is on practices on developing their individual skill developing their 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 team ethos with great ethos for people to be team players yeah you've got to step up if you're uh, potentially the best player in the team and you know uh, at, at times you don't have that player you've got to play as a team and everybody plays for each other but uh, uh, you know, we, we encourage individual performances as well, and we want our players that are capable of scoring 20, 30 points to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: the most satisfying stat probably is when you you're coming off and you've got you know thirty points from your bench, or you've got seven players in double figures, you know, and nobody's in there. You know, these these are the the, the what you're for, you know personally for me. Are, are, a really good situations rather than the one guy that's maybe got 40 points and everybody else has got nothing but sure. there are games when that happens you know yeah. uh and what so, yeah
0: talk, talk to me a little bit about um you know how you go about finding some of these local players you know obviously you're not in like a massive area like a, a city like glasgow or edinburgh um, you know, but you've always, you know, tried to attract, you know, and look for, for kids. Obviously, Kieran is one of the, you know, one of these kind of, you know, incredible success stories. I mean, what, what what's the process with regards to that? Or do they just gravitate towards you?
1: No, no. In fact, that's a good question. And uh, it's one that I've probably identified over the years, is that Glasgow and Edinburgh, yeah, they're massive cities. They've also got several teams, so there's a wee bit of dispersal of players. And but but in Falkirk, you know, we've we've got eight high schools here. We've got Stirling, which is nearby, which so has got a few high schools. But you know, so we've potentially had the ability to have a good group of local players. The best players from these high schools will come into our program. We've we've got a thirty team. For thirty school primary school league in Falkirk, you know there's, 50, 50 primary schools in the Falkirk area. Thirty of them play in our primary school league. Mm-hmm. The Rocks jump the Rocks jump to it program. We've had twenty schools in that program. So these we're seeing kids, you know, eight, nine, ten years of age, and we sports development. We work in partnership with sports development. So we as a club are very big on partnerships we're in the junior nba which is again a school's primary based program and these so we've been fortunate to have as they come to the under 12 situation you know about 20 boys or 15 girls and that just builds we've always i've always looked for it's actually a bit like the swimming squads we had always looked to have about 10 15 if we can get 20 players in an age group great you know and and People, yeah, people have come in when they've been high school age, from maybe a uh, roundabout. Uh, but you know, I've been very positive to give the kids in our area that chance, and uh, you know, they've grabbed it with both hands. As I say, we've got a lot, of, had a lot of great coaches over the years that have helped in the program. Matt Hoffman mm-hmm. and uh, George Connell, Neil Connell. Dave Cooper, a whole, my own family, you know, Keith Kim, he's Johnny coached, and a whole, you know, got a lot of young coaches, and young coaches as well, got some fantastic girls that actually uh, make amazing coaches, you know, right. they're, got some fantastic girls that are involved at present where they're under 12 teams, and, uh, you know, they're really, um been, they're so prepared and planned and they really they speak well they demonstrate, you know, they give good present. they're not frightened to talk some of the coaches, you know, I've come across them, you know, they, no disrespect you know, they struggle to get it out you know, to present <laughs> and you know, some of the best coaches are really are, the, the teenage girls are amazing So, uh, that's
0: a good segue to a um, couple of questions here first, um, talking about um, you know, basketball in Scotland and coaching in Scotland. I mean, where, where are we now? Because, you know, historically um, you know, it's still is there's, there's been some, some incredible players that have come through, you know, both domestic, you know, from purely domestic and gone on to such big, Big things with GB and stuff. Um, yeah. what, where do you think you are? We are now with, with with basketball in Scotland and specifically coaching. You know, in Scotland.
1: Yeah, I mean, basketball in Scotland is um, is really is good in schools. And I always actually say it's the most played sport in schools because it potentially is actually in Scotland. It's used. It's used in higher PE. The basketball offense is is used in their structures, etc. So basketball is a key program in that. Most of the schools, certainly in our area, and, and throughout a lot of Scotland, most of Scotland, so there's a very good schools cup program and uh, taking place in the background of club stuff. There's a lot of sports development basketball uh, going on, ourselves and the Rocks and other teams really promoted so kids can see basketball. Um, but as far as the clubs, yeah, I mean, at the, at, we're actually, I think we're bringing it down to from 10, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, to eight teams in our top leagues, which is men's, women's, uh, not the men's, women's, they'll stay 10, but the younger age groups, to kind of tighten up the competition a wee bit, uh, rather than some of the teams at the bottom. Although there's, there's pluses and minuses for that, sure top teams can run out their players bottom teams they actually do want to play the toughest teams you know so no the, the competition in scotland is is good as far as the scottish national team obviously we, when scotland decided they were going to be part of great britain that did have a knock-on effect in terms of our younger age group players we played and have Coached in many Euro seas with our Scotland men's team, as well as the, the fortunately the Commonwealth Games. They saved in 2006. I was the assistant to Tony Zifres in Australia uh, with the Commonwealth Games, and that's a great experience for the players as well, you know. And but Scotland at that point. Take that example in 2006, Tony, we couldn't get Robert Archibald. Nobody could pay his insurance. So he, he actually never played for Scotland as a, as a senior man's player at all. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, we couldn't get Kieran because he was red-shirted. He was injured that season at the so he couldn't go to Australia, which was great that in 2018 he did manage wow. to go, obviously. Uh, Ronnie Gordon, as you said, Ronnie was originally from uh, Kings and Edinburgh, and he came in won some uh, titles with us and he obviously played with the rocks and played for fury but he he was in italy at that time and with contract issues so ronnie didn't go to australia stuart Mackay, who played for thames valley tigers and uh, played for fury in our title teams as well big stuart great player so stuart was the only big man we had Uh, and uh, Tony Zifra's uh, son couldn't go Ross he was the point starting point guard so uh, but we had a decent team we really challenged Nigeria we ended up against Australia but that was a great experience for everybody and so I'm glad that the Commonwealth Games side of things has not been an, an issue but there is an issue about Getting a Scotland men's team together, as you know, there's nothing happening at the moment, so that's no. not great. Well, there's nothing happening anywhere at the moment, but in normal times there wasn't. So and the under sixteen and, and under-18s, they were able to play a wee bit of Euracy for a while, but of course they're now also under the umbrella of Great Britain basketball. Yeah. Now, you I, know, for me, I think the Scots players do stack up quite well. Do they fit sure. into Do they fit into positionless basketball? Well, maybe they don't. You know, because no, they're, 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 they're they're not all six feet eight and can dunk and run. And no. you know, so we've got we've got to watch that. You know, I'm I'm not criticising positionless basketball because I look at it myself and switching on every play, et cetera, etc. etc. If we can, but at the end of the day, you've got to not be too careful. Some of these coaches, you know. Do they actually know what a good point guard or a centre is or the benefits, you know? I just wonder at times, and the Great Britain, there's a lot of younger coaches out there, but at times... uh, So, Scotland, I hope we're still able to keep our identity in all the age groups because you've got to have... Absolutely. ...goals. Yeah, you've got to have goals. And... You know, is it realistic for every Scottish player to say they're going to be in a Great Britain team? Well, no, it's not realistic. Is it realistic that you have a really good chance of getting into a Scottish team? Well, yes, it is. Yeah. You know, if you really and you're really dedicated your, all, you know, and you're a, a decent player, you can. And there's lots of good things that the Scottish teams there's, there's tournaments abroad, take them to the states, the camps, whatever, to develop them as players. So it's a bit of a still in transition as to the international side of Scottish basketball, and you know, it 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 still needs a lot of looking at, in my opinion.
0: Right, that's an interesting that's an interesting point. Um, but at the same stage, I mean, well, uh, you know, I I know that I had this conversation with uh, Craig Nicholl and um, even yourself a couple of times about you know, the exodus of the best Scottish young players to, to the England academies, because... Yeah,
1: Myerscoe you know, or wherever, yeah,
0: uh, yeah. or Barking Abbey, you know, uh, yeah, the, 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 there's no question, you know, that... I mean, those those top four or five academies in, in England are in an arms race. And if there's a super talent in Scotland, of which there are meant there have been, um, there's they're definitely going to be finding them and, and working with them. I mean, is that is, is it realistic in in the future to believe that there should be some sort of central academy in, for Scotland basketball? Or do you think that the, the way the education is set up in Scotland, it just precludes that?
1: It's it's difficult because at the end of the day, the best players have got to play against the best players. And uh, it's, you know, you're potentially hindering the development of a really good player if week in, week out, he's not being faced with a challenge. Of course, he can be. And, you know, and I just cited... Uh, obviously I've got to cite my own experiences, Johnny and Ali, you know, they were in the starting five of the men's team when we won that, when they were 17, 16, 17. So, you know, there is a platform, but it is great when they're playing against people in their own own age group. And yes, an academy's full-time, they're getting a lot of individual tuition, they're getting off-court stuff, they're getting a lot of development as well, they're getting the opportunity to play. I, I know that they play teams abroad, and, you know, we 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 tried. Obviously, we, we did. We replicate that. We're taking our club abroad. You know, and playing right. competitions. Sure. And you know, we played Red and Rockets when we were over in Flanders. So there is a lot of clubs out there that will. I'm not saying resent that academy thing, but they'll look at ways of doing it themselves. Sure. And there are there are ways you can you know get players to camps and you know, um, there there are options, but it's, it's very difficult. Um, in Scotland potentially for us to have one academy uh, because of the you know the education situation the, uh, you know you you're, you're going to have to get an accommodation if they're all good if it's going to be worthwhile they're going to have to be together and get them into an education situation and then get them playing in a league together i'm not saying, and obviously the rocks and that's actually i could make a point about that one of the things i am quite proud might be the word, that when when Johnny came back, he went uh, to the States uh, to prep school for a year, came back, signed with the Rocks, and the regulations prior to him coming back were that the players in the Rocks team, no matter what age they were, could not play, could not play in the Scottish Senior Men's League. Uh, so there was this... Uh, bar on anybody I think it was 17 or something was the was the age group that yeah you could play if you're 17 you still play for your Scottish team but if you're in that Rocks team and you're sitting on the bench and oh I, I know you're not playing you're not getting any minutes you're getting zero minutes so our club we proposed that that rule change to under 23 so when Johnny came back from the States he played for us for four seasons won six titles and You know, he was getting 30 minutes of game time every week, playing at a reasonably high level because he was still young. He was still in the senior men's league and he was still going out and getting time with the the Rocks. So that was an important change for me in the Rocks. I've got young guys in their team just now and they have over the years. So uh, it happens with the the Scotland WBBL team, although there's two or three things maybe I don't agree with about the just how young they've gone with that team, but uh and they don't some of them don't play for the Scottish league team. So there's right. got to be a balance. And sure. yes, the Rocks could be an outlet. You know, we'd like we've we've played in the BBL Trophy as as the Scottish Absolutely, Champions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we 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 it's not beyond it would be great if there was another team in Scotland that was playing in the BBL. And I think if there was another team that was out there and that younger age group, half a dozen of the young guys are on they're still playing in Scottish teams, they're still getting development, whether they go to camps or, you know, getting professional instruction every day with the BBL team they're in. And that's a a great platform. And these are potential GB players if they're getting daily coaching and that, in terms like that. They don't need to go abroad, but, you know, Ali went to the States, Ali Fraser, uh, Kieran went, we've had uh, Mary Bucking went to the States. So, you know, the American scenario of going to college is good and there's a few players in Europe but again Tony to me it's a bit haphazard it's who you know you know I've been fortunate I've known a lot of people in the states and in Europe so you can make these connections I said uh, recently to Basketball Scotland there needs to be a structure for people to develop they need to know what the pathway is when they're 10 11 and 12 yeah because you know they they need where where they're going to go otherwise Clubs, you know, like us, we we've got to just do the best we can ourselves.
0: Not not too much of a political uh, question. This is not a political question, not even a federation question. I don't,
1: I don't mind, Tony. No. <laughs> I'm not, known
0: for not saying what I think, you know. No, uh, uh, can no. Is it uh, can can Edinburgh um, uh, ha, uh, potentially have a BBL team uh, as well as Glasgow? Would it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is, it, is it, I'm sh- I'm pretty certain those cities are big enough, you know, with with reasonable amount of distance between them, or not? Am I am I mistaken? That would it need to be somewhere else?
1: Uh, we'd love to have one in Falkirk. The problem yeah. with uh, and and you know we have we've had American players over. We've got lots of European players. Uh, I I I the problem is facilities. That's the big thing. And yeah. the Rocks have got an amazing facility. The Emirates I know they're thinking about potentially trying to develop their own facility because we see some great BBL facilities uh, yeah, down yeah. in England. And, you know, Meadowbank, which was a big sports centre in Edinburgh, it's basically not no longer in existence. So the Edinburgh team, you know, they play out high school. And f- facilities is the big thing. And, oh. uh, you know, you've got to be able to have, let's say, a couple of thousand Spectators in there, and that because that's one of the key ways to generate money as well as sponsorship. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Edinburgh, there's no reason they couldn't, but like everywhere else, facilities is is the big thing for us.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, moving just uh, slightly different. Um, so it's, it's, it's roughly what we've been talking about. But what about the um, the, the coaching fraternity, you know, first in Scotland, um, but also in in the UK as well, you have been a person that's connected you know yourself with so many people, and you mentioned you know people like um, John Grant who I met you know uh, I don't know twenty years ago, um, just you know around and was able to to take you know and to to to, to develop a relationship with him. Um, what Do you think that there is a good, strong fraternity? Do you think people are really working for each other or do you think it can be better?
1: Uh, well, I likes of John Grant, John, John did a lot. You know, he brought Skip Prosser over from Wake, when Skip was the coach at Wake Forest, he came over, did some clinics camp. So, you know, he was really proactive. Uh, John himself coached at the five-star camp. So in the states, a famous camp, and you know, so he did he did a lot for the game, and i uh, really enjoyed being involved with him in the Scotland stuff. Tony, Tony as well, the years we were involved. Sure. Uh, Tony Ziffris, so Tony Zifras, you sure. know, uh, Tom Campbell at Trun. There's a there's a lot of guys that have been in it for a long time, and a lot of them been involved in it because of their kids, you know. You know Tony the great his son was fantastic player Tom Campbell all his kids uh, you know all my kids so a lot of people get into coaching through their kids then but uh, it's probably changed a wee bit now and there is a there's a, well everybody's a bit younger than me Tony but there is a, a lot more younger coaches uh, and that's great to see you know enthusiasm Um we, we, Scotland, Basketball Scotland regularly held clinics. Sometimes they were good, sometimes no so good. I remember somebody coming over because I couldn't speak English, you know, so that was a bit of a disaster. I don't think that had been found out. But so there's a, a genuine effort to improve our coaches. You know, we've got a lot of good people working the, the tutor side, the coach development uh, side of things. So coaching's not ignored. Uh, It's probably going back a few years. Tony and I, as part of a coaching grant, we went over and we travelled with Kieran's team in Decane. We went to high school games, you know. So that we we went to uh, went to an NBA game, which is the worst game of the lot. High school games were the best games, you know. They've still got about ten assistants, and they're in high school, you know. There (laughs) was more assistants than players, and. Obviously went to Kieran's games with the cane and saw the college program, etc. Uh, his coach stayed in a whole upstairs suite of a hotel where we were down in the bottom basement. But uh, that was one side of college basketball. But sure. and uh, and you know, like to that Albert Schweitzer tournament when I was in Germany with the American coaches, and we met a whole load of coaches after the game, and that's when you learn a wee bit more and you'll pick away at things that are going on i mean that tournament was amazing in germany i've been there twice with the american team and uh, germany you know they won it we were in the final four who, one who, year.
0: who's the the head coach of that team was that was that Don? michael oh, Mike, Mike, uh, Mike michaelson
1: was the head coach that that because you're talking, you they've got an un, that was the under eighteen team, right? But, okay. So the Albert Schweitzer tournament, as you know, is the unofficial world well, championship for absolutely. under eighteen That's basketball. Cool. You know, we played China and Japan. Where on earth was I ever going to be playing against China and Japan? You know, yeah. so that was fantastic. I mean, the German team was that won it was just amazing. Some of these yeah, players,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it yeah. it was uh, so. Yeah,
0: Actually, I think he played against Dennis Schroeder in one in that last one. Um, but, I'm pretty certain he was playing, right. I You were, know, uh huh.
1: I, w- I was looking back at some of the players that we played against, and certainly, I, and yeah. some of the I, teams
0: I, 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 I'm pretty certain that on that team, if I'm not mistaken, Dennis Schroeder and Daniel Tice, who are both in the NBA now, were playing. I'm, I'm pretty certain and Daniel
1: Tice was, you're right. Daniel yes. Tice, yeah, 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 yes, yeah. yeah yeah and there's a guy Ethan Hart played for us he was a fantastic college player played for the Badgers and uh, don't think he made it to the NBA but you know that was a great experience so you know I think maybe people have got to go out and do their own things they can't just sit back and rely on the governing body uh, the governing body in Scotland you know they've, they've done a reasonable amount in terms of coaching sure but um, and, and and it is diff- and it is difficult. At the end of the day, you know, a lot of the coaches in Scotland are basically volunteers. You know, they're not like yeah. me, who did my thirty-five years in the police, retired, and could look at it full time. You know, almost. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do you so just saying that
0: point? Do you think that point gets over to young coaches? The uh, where because I one of my it's it's a semi-criticism of young coaches is that mm-hmm. now with the use of technology you know youtube and zoom and all of these you know the things you can do on your computer you basically could get anything i mean i think even if you google now you can get barcelona's playbook um and an nba playbook uh, you can see drills yeah. you can see tactics do you think that that's making some younger coaches a little bit in some words lazy and not wanting to go and get real life experiences like you're saying because I certainly fell feel that they don't go and try to take the opportunity. Like, you know, if if you're in the Midlands for argument's sake, why would you not go and see Rob paternostra um coach, mm-hmm. you know, from the BBL or, you know, in if you're around Manchester and the England women's coach is there, Chem, the Spanish guy, why would you not go and see his sessions? I I find it that, you know, at this moment we're probably starting to get to that stage where we're too technical, you know, reliant on technology.
1: Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, I'm, I'm a champion of analytics or so always looking for an edge off court, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, one thing I do feel is that there are three different types of coaches and it's very rarely you'll get one who can develop an individual and coach a game you'll get some game coaches Very much. that potentially don't know anything about coaching an individual and you'll get coaches that can coach individuals, put them in a game and they're clueless. And, you know, I, I look back at my experiences in the police and making decisions and planning, etc. And that's one thing I've, I've always felt that you, you've got to get the feel for being a game coach. And, you know, and, and I've always said a basketball coach, is the most active and um, impactful coach in any sport, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, You know, because they're the guys that are like a computer. You're a human computer on the side. You're looking at the personal fills, the team fills, the timeouts, the offense, the defense, the players that are subbing in. I mean, there's a whole quantum of things you have to go over in your mind. Uh, in terms of, you know, what, who are the guys? And, you know, I've seen coaches and, and thought, do they not realise this guy's still on the bench down there? You yeah. know, coaches that are never bringing players into the game. So yeah. it's a very complex business, especially when anybody can coach, and I'm not going to slag man-to-man too much here, anybody can sit and run a half-court man-to-man defence the whole game and run a couple of offences for it and run two or three subs in. For me... It's more enjoyable for me, the fans, the the players, when you're actually evaluating a whole lot of things and trying to make some changes, whether it's a zone, it's a trap or whatever, or getting different guys in on the matchups, or or going guard-orientated or whatever. There's a whole raft of things that a basketball coach can do that is just not possible in many, many sports. It's all got to be done beforehand, and it's down to the athlete. And Keith slags me sometimes for saying, "Oh, too much about coaching; it's the players." Of course, it's about the players. Sure. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. but, but let, let's let's not no. take away the, the yeah. guy in the sideline.
0: You're you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I I again make this point, and it's not been, you know, demeaning other sports that, you know, where the coach does all of the preparation and then, you know, the athlete actually does the execution or in some ways like rugby for sure, you know, it's a very, you know, that the coach doesn't have that much to, you know, to change, but we can change everything on the fly. We can make substitutions multiple on the fly. We can change an offense, a defense in the flow of the game. And we, we also understand emotion and tiredness because we're so close to the action you know these are all factors that you know we are as close to the to the to the to the play as any sports coach is and we're the ones that can can affect i say affect winning and losing you know versus like you say of course ultimately a player has to score or make a stop Mm -hmm. we all understand that but yeah we definitely can um and and as as we both know um, more than anything, um, when 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 teams win, it's the players, <laughs> yes. and when teams lose, it's the coach. So uh, yeah. you fully well, understand well, that, you know.
1: Yeah, I've all I've always, have. and I get I get slated for it, uh, you know, I, and I say it to Keith or Johnny or whoever. If it's a tight game and we've won, for me, it's been the coach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm maybe winding them up there, but no, and and it. A lot's to do with preparation, Tony. Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to, to prepare, you've got to uh, know who you're coming into play against, their strengths, weaknesses, etc. So, preparation is absolutely key, and uh, uh, that's what makes it all the more the practice is all the more enjoyable as well, known and for the players too. And the, the players, in my experience, whether they're 10, 12, 14, 24, whatever, 34, male, female, uh, you know, and I've been in a fortunate position to have coached men's and women's teams. And, you know, I coach them very much along the same. I won't coach each player exactly the same because, you know, in the men's team or the women's teams, you know yourself, the, the, you know, the way you say something to one player, sometimes doesn't go down too well, but, you know, you can say it to another player, you know, that that's the spark that they're looking for. They want you to be maybe a bit near the bone rather. Whereas with some other players, you know, you, you go in a slightly different way. Well, you'll talk to the team in the in generally in a in a way that's similar. But uh you know, and you're talking about the preparation, that coach, and I was trying to pronounce think of his name, Malkovich was uh I took Kieran out to Malaga. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First of first yeah. of all we went to Paris. He was he was looked at in Paris and I right. took him out to Paris and a funny story. There, we were in traveling in into Paris in the the train. It was like an underground train system, and there was no nobody was in the barriers initially at this where we were staying. We had to climb the barriers on, and we're on the platform, and we're walking in the kind of underground bit of the train, and the wall opened up, and these guys come out and pull Kieran and I in, and this is the you know the British the equivalent of the British Transport Police. Wow. Fortunately, I had my warrant card with me. I said, wow. look, honestly, uh, you know, there was nobody <laughs> on that barrier and K- Kieran was petrified. That's what had happened to us. Right. But uh, no, and K- we went out to Malaga where he tried out uh, yeah, and uh, he was all set to sign the ACB team, top four. And uh, Malkovich, who was, uh, you know, quite a frightening coach Serbian was, coach. It,
0: it, it, Oh, we're, we're talking about. I mean, you know, the uh, Pesic and Obrovac. You know, Malkovic was on a different world to those guys. He is one of <laughs> the all-time hard-nosed uh, guys. Yes. I didn't actually coach against him. You know, I coached against Petri- uh, Pesic and stuff. Uh-huh. But um, boy, I've I've heard the stories, and uh, that guy was yeah. absolutely crazy. Well I,
1: well, well, I was well, I went to the training sessions. We were staying in this five-star hotel at Malaga, and this was key was I was officially getting them into the, the system and I went along to the practices and he never acted, there Was they had about massive program you know there was a strength and conditioning coach there was a shooting coach there was four or five people and he he's actually the same age as me this guy and I and this was, he would be about 50 odd at the time and he walked in and with presumably his girlfriend, who was about 20 or something, and the two of them sat down, and he dishing out two or three orders, has a look about, then he goes back out again. That was oh, him, you know? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. uh, yes, I, I gather he had a fearsome reputation oh, with huge, the players. And, huge, huge fearsome. Uh,
0: so for- so,
1: so Kieran, Kieran got a bit homesick there, and he came back, and, uh, you know, the rest history went down to uh, England for a bit. And uh, pretty, yeah, for half a yeah. season and then he went over to the cane where you know then then played in the ACB himself after that so fantastic
0: yeah yeah um three quick questions to finish with, uh-huh. um uh favorite uh basketball drill you said that you don't you're not concerned about it but do you have a favorite drill
1: oh i've got I've got plenty of favorite drills tony yes I, I I mean I'm very much so. Uh, Commonwealth Games in Australia. I was talking to the Australian coach. He went out and coached in the uh, and I've forgotten his name. Uh, he went out and coached in the NBA and was talking to him at lunch in the in the uh, the village. Uh, over, he said, you know, and we had we had played them and they had beaten us by about forty. Uh, and he says, oh, your team's fantastic, moving the ball. And he, uh, he says. Uh, talked about practices. Yeah, I had only nine players at practice, he says, but that's a great practice, he says, you can use it. Five V4, five players. And and you know, I'd been gobsmacked how every shot they took, there was never anybody near the guy that was shooting the ball. You know, the extra pass was just finding somebody. Ball movement was so quick. Extra pass, he says, 5v4, the team with five, make sure they get that extra pass in. Team with four, they're working extra hard on defence. So I, I, I'll run that when I've got nine players. I'm quite happy with my nine players running that one. Awesome. The uh, 10 passing drill done in a half court below the uh, three-point line. Two, your two teams uh, normally run it 4v4 and they've got to, the team's got to make 10 passes when they're on offence. They can't pass back to the same player, but what it does teach is off-the-ball screening, movement, and when someone's trapped with a ball, you know, pivoting and uh, or, or moving to the ball, the L-cut and the V-cut. So it's a it's a great drill for both defence and offensive skills. Love it. And I really love a lot of advantage-disadvantage transition drills. We run a lot of numerical drills where there's advantage-disadvantage. So drills, yes, but... It's not just the case of me throwing it out, sitting back and... and you've got to be on top of it and get the learning lessons while we're doing it, you know? Absolutely.
0: Like like you say, just even on that simple drill you were discussing about the 10-pass drill, I mean, you know, I I see so many times players catching the ball and they're pivoting backwards and they're pivoting (laughs) away from the basket and, you know, I see coaches just let that happen. I'm like, hey. It's as
1: though though their feet are nailed to the floor, as I say, Tori, you know, and pivoting is one of the most underrated things that are coached in basketball. Absolutely. You know, and, and that little drill, the 10 passes, will move it to six and then they can actually score and pass seven, eight, nine and 10, which is great. They're allowed a layup or a shot, an open shot. So yeah. uh, it drills it up that are progressions are always great as well.
0: Right. Favourite all-time basketball coach?
1: Well, I saw that question and probably has to be Phil Jackson. Yeah, because uh, I grew up uh, the Bulls were with Jordan, and uh, yeah, I wasn't a kid when I was growing up with the Bulls. So, but <laughs> it was more or less when I was involved in coaching at the start, you know. And Tex uh, Winter's triangle offense, and I had a look at that. And I'm like, My God, I decided that no, we didn't have a year to get this <laughs> learned to the players, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, right. So, so yeah, I always liked the way he coached and all right he was maybe a bit arrogant and aloof but uh, he certainly got results
0: great and then lastly uh favorite go-to saying or statement something you say
1: yeah like. plenty of these tony and probably i'll get <laughs> focal no basketball's again it runs is one of my favorite that he has commented on all. and 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 it is and people have you know will say that during a during a timeout or something you know Teams will go on runs, you know, and, yeah, and it can motivate, you know. So spacing yeah. and balance is another one I'm great nice about, uh, Yeah, you know, it. setting up, how how bad, you know, it just, I stop them when there's 10 people standing in one spot, you know, and defensive balance is another thing I'm big on. You know, the, yeah. the guard who's passed the ball cut and nobody else decides to come up to the top when we lose the ball to stop the fast break. So defensive balance and spacing and balance are,
0: two of the things I'm always banging on about right coach listen it's uh, it's been awesome to speak um you know I mean there's so many I mean you I know you've got so many stories um, yeah. that we could go on for forever but um you know I, I really appreciate you being on and uh um, you know especially what you've done you know not just like I say for Scottish but also British basketball it's been uh, fantastic and I know the club will continue to grow and uh, hopefully you know after this pandemic you can be back playing at least in the BBL trophy.
1: Um, yeah yeah Tony uh, I would like to add that you know a, gr- a great club depends on you know, the players and the parents and, you know, we've really been lucky, fantastic players, fantastic parents. And, you know, there's so many coaches, Pete Duncan and uh, Jen McLaren. I didn't mention them, you know, Pete went away and he'd been involved in Scotland stuff, Jen as well. But the coaches as well that come up through the club. So it's, you know, there's so many parts to it. And the fact that, uh, you know, I think when you've got a good club, it just develops. Outwards, international and, and beyond, and, and just in life in general. You know, the, these kids are all in it. And it's not just about the best players. For me, I get as much satisfaction when somebody says hello and I'm half thinking who they are and they've played for me. And, but, you know, and they've gone on this, you know, yeah, make a, a success in their life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's oh, great. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you very, very much indeed
1: thanks for listening to another episode of time Out. you can now find all of our episodes on itunes and spotify so please like subscribe and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode